Imagine if someone who knows you really well, a family member or a close friend, imagine if they were to write a letter describing you. What would it say? Now, I guess the first thing we would think of is we'd start to write out something about what we do. But what if that was against the rules? What if this letter couldn't say anything about what you do? It could only describe who you are. What you are really like in your character, in your heart. What would it say? What would you want it to say? You know, I have some really strong desires about what that letter would say for me and for you. Because we talk all the time these days about being a people who are coming together to know Jesus, to actually become more like him and to help others do the same. So right at the heart of our vision is for you and I to actually be becoming more like Jesus. Which raises a really important question. What would it look like to look like Jesus? Well, our passage this morning has some great insight. If you open your Bibles with me, we are in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Last week, Brian began this passage, this chapter for us, by reminding us that we are called to put off the old life in the flesh and of the self and to put on clothing ourselves in Christ, getting rid of those old, dirty ways, those old, dirty clothes, and somehow instead being clothed in Christ. That theme continues as we pick up the text this morning in Colossians 3, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The Apostle Paul immediately uses five descriptive words of being clothed in Christ. First is compassion. This is an other-centeredness. Rather than thinking simply about ourselves and going through life not concerned about the people around us in this room or the people around us in our world, Jesus modeled for us a heart of compassion, moved within genuinely concern for the needs and the cares of others. First, compassion. Second, kindness. We live in a world that is filled with rudeness, even with cruelty. And it's so easy to get sucked into that kind of dialogue. But do you realize that even if we're not cruel, and even if we're not rude, that doesn't necessarily make us kind. Kindness requires intentionality to love and care for another. 
Next is humility. Philippians 2 is the perfect passage to understand humility. For Jesus is the ultimate model of humility. He who is in very nature God, humbling himself and not holding on to that position, but becoming a man and even being willing to go and die on a cross for you and I. Jesus modeled humility. And it has been rightly said... That just as was true of Jesus, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less than gentleness. Many people don't like this word because they think it somehow connotes, connotes a weakness. But actually, this is a powerful word. The, the root and the uh, origin of this word, it's a picture of what it's like to have a horse, which is a beast of great strength. But for that horse to then be gentled is even more powerful. You see, it's one thing to have great power. It's even more amazing, more beautiful, and more powerful when we are able to restrain and control that power, using it through gentleness for the good of others rather than running over others and through others. And finally, in verse 12, Paul speaks of patience. My impatience reveals to me my self-centeredness. I am impatient when I see all of the people around me and all of the things around me as merely obstacles to getting what I want. And I become impatient because I want what I want and I want it now. And someone or something stands in the way. And yet, if we are to clothe ourselves in Christ, we are to grow in being people who trust God that he is in control and therefore are able to be patient. So Paul gives these five characteristics, and then in verse 13, there's two actions. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Here in verse 13, also in Ephesians, Paul speaks of this concept of bearing with one another. And at the heart of it all is simply recognizing the diversity of how God has created men and women in this world. Even this very room is filled with very different people who have different ideas, different thoughts, different desires, different passions, different preferences. And so often what we see happening all around us is people are on a mission to make sure everybody thinks and acts like them rather than bearing with one another in love. Letting someone else be who God created them to be and loving them even if they're different than you. And then this issue of forgiveness. Forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone and the standard is absolute. Paul makes it clear. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. There has never been a person in all of human history more forgiving than the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who was in very nature God allowed sinful man to spit in his face, to mock him, to beat him, 
to nail him to a tree. And in the very process of that, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in the most horrific of circumstances, Jesus demonstrated the most incredible of forgiveness. Why did he do all of that? He did it for you and for me. That all of the iniquity in us, all that is broken in us, might be nailed with him to that tree. That our sin might be forgiven by his blood. That we might be completely forgiven in Christ. And so to be like Christ means to be a forgiving people. No matter what, whatever complaint someone has, whatever someone has done to you, forgive as the Lord has forgiven. And then in verse 14, as we think about clothing ourselves in Christ, this is like the belt, which brings it all and ties it all together. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is like the umbrella under which all of these other things are subsets. Do you remember what the teacher asked Jesus? He said, of all of the laws, and there were so many, what is the most important? And Jesus said, the most important is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something really interesting. He said, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two. What he meant was, if we would perfectly live out this standard of love, truly other-centered care and concern, we would end up fulfilling all of the rest. So what Paul is telling us as we clothe ourselves in Christ is that which binds us together in perfect unity is love. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? How will the world know that we're the church, that we're the followers of Jesus Christ? He said, it is by your love for one another. So love binds them all together. So as we think of what would it look like to look like Jesus, Paul gives us a beautiful description right here in verses 12, 13, and 14. But notice Paul began by saying, put on or clothe yourself with these things, these five characteristics, these two actions and love which binds them all together. But how do we do that? So often we think that these things are part of a human self-improvement program. Something we're supposed to just figure out how to conquer. But the secret to becoming like Christ, to looking like Christ, is life in Christ. It is everything that we've been talking about so far in this letter from Paul to the Colossians. Do you remember how we began back in chapter 1? I mean, Paul started out with this description of Jesus as the incomparable one, the supremacy of Christ, just how amazing he is. But then he came to the end of chapter one and he said something truly incredible. 
As he's talking about his ministry, he says that he has this ministry to the Gentiles, to the people of the world who do not know God and the plan of God. And it is his ministry is to reveal a mystery, a mystery that has not been known. And he is making it known. And what is that mystery? Well, in Colossians 1.27, he tells us the mystery is Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. You see, it is Christ in us that changes everything. It is when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ that everything about our past, present, and future changes. In Colossians 2, Paul begins to unpack what that looks like. He said in verse 6, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, live in him. Our moment of salvation is the beginning of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ in which bit by bit we are being transformed more to be like him as we live in him. So in verse 6, he says, walk in him. In verse 7, he says, you are rooted in him, now be built up in him. In verse 9, he reminds us that in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And verse 10 says, in, in him, you have been made complete. Verse 11 reminds us that in him, you have been circumcised, not of the body, but of the heart. And then in verse 12, he says that we have been buried with him in his death. We have been raised with him to new life and verse 13 says that he has made us alive together with Christ taking all that is wrong with us and nailing it to the cross once and for all friends life is in Christ if we want to experience becoming like Christ we have to continually learn how to walk in Christ and thus chapter 3 begins to give us very practical advice. Brian started with it last week in the beginning of chapter three. Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. It's the first step is to reorient our perspective, to look up, to see Jesus. And then right here in our passage, Paul said some very important truth about us, and I skipped right over it. Did you notice it? The beginning of verse 12, as he's talking about this concept of being clothed in Christ, he says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on or clothe yourself with. Those who have been chosen of God. If Christ is your Savior, if you've come to saving faith in Jesus... Do you understand that this means God chose you? The God of all of the universe, the God who made the heaven and the earth, he chose you because he wanted you. He wants to give you freedom and hope and joy. He wants to do life with you. Scripture says that he chose you in him from before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless in his sight. Interesting that he says that, which leads right to the second thing Paul says in verse 12. Chosen of God, holy. I don't know about you, 
But I don't think I'd use the word holy to describe me very often. I think of the holiness of God, and most often I think of how I don't measure up. But what I forget in those moments is this amazing truth of what Christ has done for me and for you. And that is this, that if I am in Christ, there is never a millisecond when God looks at me and sees only me. He sees me now in Christ. For the very holiness, the very righteousness of Christ has been given to me as a gift of God's grace in salvation in Jesus Christ. And so literally when God looks at me, he doesn't just sees me, see me, he sees me in Christ. Therefore, I am chosen of God and I am holy. And did you see that third word? And beloved. Beloved. You are the beloved. You know, we read in John 3.16 about God sending his beloved son. But in Christ, you are also now a part of the beloved. Holy and dearly loved by God. God longs to be gracious to you. God longs to reveal himself and his infinite goodness to you. That you might walk in it. That you might live in Christ. And experience the wonder of him changing you bit by bit to be more like Jesus. So again, what is our part in all of that? After all, we're told here to put on these things. Well, I love how our team had this imagery that they put up on the stage for this series. I've sat out during messages and I've looked at those trees. And I thought of the beauty of what that looks like. And it reminded me of times when I've been out in my neighborhood or around the world and I've taken pictures of trees. And I want to show you just a few of them this morning. I love the beauty of the trees and the leaves, especially against the backdrop of a blue sky and the light and the sun shining through. And if the wind is just shaking the leaves, it shimmers in such a glorious way. And I love to take pictures of those and reflect on the beauty that they represent. It lifts me up. It lifts my eyes. And I think those trees are a living metaphor that God has given us of Colossians 3. Because what did we start with in Colossians 3.1? Get your eyes off of yourself and the things of this world and fix your eyes on the things above where Christ is. Fix your eyes and set your heart on Christ. And those trees are this visible means of reminding us, look up, look up. As I was going through photos this week, there's one thing I didn't find. I didn't have any pictures where I took a picture of the bottom of a tree or the ground around a tree. I don't have any pictures of the roots of trees, mostly because they're underground and you can't even see them, which is why I am so thankful that Janelle and our team chose that picture right in the center to represent this series on the theme of being rooted in Christ. Look at those roots. Powerful, strong, amazing. 
And here's the thing. So often in our lives, we spend so much time and energy trying to grow up and out. So little time and energy seeking to grow deep and strong. But if our roots are not growing deep, eventually we won't have strength to grow high. You remember how we started the whole series in Colossians, the very first thing that was shared? Ryan opened up this series and he talked about that biosphere out in Arizona. And he said this weird thing happened. They had these trees grow up and they looked beautiful. Everything looked great. But suddenly these trees literally just started to fall over. And they couldn't figure out what in the world, what's happening? They realized that in this biosphere, there was no wind. There was no resistance. And these trees did not grow deep roots. They literally grew to a size where their very own weight was too much. And they simply fell over. My friends, every single one of us, if we do not focus in our lives on growing deep and growing strong in Christ, at some point we will get to the place where it's all too much and we too will collapse. To live a life in Christ and to partner well with God means to sink our roots deep into him and to be built up in him. And the Apostle Paul gives us three incredible ways to partner well with God in this process right in this text. The first one is in verse 15. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This idea of the peace of Christ ruling within us, it's the same language from which we get the term umpire. So you think in a game when, when the umpire, the ball goes the wrong way, the umpire calls foul. Well, literally Paul is saying that God has given us this notion of peace to help us, to guide us. And if we will heed it, it will help us when we're going afoul. Every single one of us is tempted to live for ourselves all the time. Every single one of us is tempted to go our own way, do our own thing, to live for the things of this world. But if you are in Christ, then God has placed this umpire within you. And when you start to go down that path, this umpire is crying foul. Don't go that way. Because my friends, the self-life and the Christ life, they are completely incompatible. And we must choose Will we trust in ourselves, go our own way, do our own thing? Or will we believe that God truly is good and that life actually is in Christ? And when that umpire cries foul, will we turn back toward Christ rather than running headlong on our own path? You know, that's true individually. But did you notice how Paul wrote it right here in verse 15? He wrote it corporately. He said, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. As we've been going through this text, did you notice that every characteristic and action described has something to do with how you relate to others? They're all descriptions of how we show up to our family, to our friends, our small group, in our church, 
and in the lost world around us. Because God has called us to this one another existence in community. That's why a life group is such an important place to start here at Lincoln Berean. Because we need to learn to live this out together. And that umpire can call to us not only in terms of ourselves, but if you're experiencing division in your family, division with your friends, with someone you love, with a coworker, in whatever situation, that umpire is probably calling out, there's a problem here. Look up, pay attention. And what causes that division? James made it clear and simple. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You want something and you don't get it. So you go after it, trying to get your way and your will instead of trusting in God. And the umpire calls foul. You're going your own way, doing your own thing, and the result is division in your relationships. And one of the ways that we partner well with God to become more like Jesus is to heed the umpire. To let God call us back to his presence and his way when we're going astray. The second one's in verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love this wording. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You remember a couple of weeks ago, Brian was trying to use an illustration talking about how do you know when a bucket is full? He said, you could try all kinds of things, but if you walk out into the ocean and you take that bucket and you submerge it, you immerse it, it's completely full. It can't get any more full. That's a picture that God is painting for us in verse 16. If you have this much of the word of Christ, of the truth of Christ in your life, you will have roots that are this deep. God calls us to immerse ourselves in his truth, in his perspective, in the word of Christ, not only individually, but corporately. Once again, look at this picture. It's teaching and admonishing one another. It's literally singing to one another with psalms and hymns. It's in every way, every day, being a community that are immersing ourselves in the goodness and the truth of God. Do you realize that every day, every moment, every single one of us shows up in this life as either a giver or a taker? Most often, we are showing up in this world as takers. The reason is we have unmet needs. We're trying to find something which will fill us up. And we look to all kinds of things to fill us, but we go out into our families, into our relationships, into our jobs, into our world, looking to get something, looking to find that which will fill me, looking to find that which will satisfy me. We are taking, taking, taking. What if we were the kind of people who were so immersed in the goodness of God? that we were full to overflowing. See, it is when I am seeking Christ and walking in Christ and seeing Christ and experiencing his goodness that I now know there's a good, good father 
who's taking care of me, who is fully able to supply all that I need through his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, and I am now free to give. To show up in life if, with the description that Paul has just painted because I am not looking to you and the world to fill me and meet my needs. I'm immersed in the truth of Christ. So we heed the umpire, the umpire. We listen to the teacher and immerse ourselves in truth. And then in verse 17, we focus continually on the goal. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wow, that is all-encompassing. Do you see what he said? Whatever you do, oh, by the way, in word or deed, in other words, whatever you say, any word you speak, or anything you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means as a representative in this world of the Lord Jesus Christ, showing up as Jesus would show up. And the way we understand what that looks like and what that means is to think, what would Jesus say in this moment if he were here living my life in my shoes today? What would he say? What would he do? And the calling here is that we are to do whatever in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's all encompassing. It is the goal upon which we are to focus. If we want to partner well with God, living out this life in Christ, we are to heed the umpire and listen to the teacher, immersing ourselves in truth, but we are to continually also renew our mind on the goal, focusing on living our lives not for ourselves and selfish gain, but for the glory of the one who gave everything for me. Doing all in the name of Christ, becoming bit by bit more like Christ. So where do we start? Well, I think Paul actually embeds in this text a spiritual discipline, a practice a place for us to start in cultivating life in Christ. He just said it three times. And I bet we didn't even notice it. Look again at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. With thanks, be thankful, giving thanks over and over and over. Why does he embed that? Why does he insert that in all three of those verses? I believe it is because the practice of learning to give thanks appropriates by faith the life of Christ within us. Let me explain what I mean. If I am going to actually give thanks in all things, in whatever circumstance I'm facing, what must I do? Well, first of all, I'm probably not feeling very thankful. I'm probably seeing some problem or issue in my life and I'm more prone to grumble and complain because my eyes are fixed on me and on that. 
So the first thing I have to do is look up. I have to seek God. I have to set my mind, I have to set my heart on things above, not on earthly things. That's the first step in giving thanks. But it's not enough. If I'm going to genuinely give thanks, I need to seek God, but I also need to see God. I need to get a perspective which transcends my circumstances in order to give thanks. And that means seeing God for who he is in his majesty, looking at my story in the context of all that God has done in me, for me, and through me. This begins to change my mind. But still, if I'm going to genuinely give thanks, another thing is still needed. I've got to seek God. I've got to see God. But I must choose to believe God. I must believe that God is God. And I must believe that God is good. And when I come to that point of settledness, having been seeking God, seeing God, I now believe God something happens within me and I can freely and joyfully give thanks no matter what I'm facing in my life. And from there, I now actually live trusting God depending upon God, drawing from his strength, his power, his spirit, his perspective to enable me rather than living in my own strength in the mess of my world. Giving thanks is an exercise that leads us to seek God, see God, believe God, and actually live depending on and trusting in God. I think that's why Paul embeds this and calls us repeatedly to give thanks. You know, what would it look like if you and I were to begin to do that? If you and I were to seek to partner well with God in these ways, would we start to look more like Jesus? I believe we would. I believe God can and wants to change you and me so much that we can look like Christ and show up like Christ no matter what we face in life. Even in the worst of circumstances. I mean, think about it for a moment. What if the worst happened? The very worst. Take, for example, what if someone actually tried to kill you? I mean, literally tried to kill you. How would that affect you? How would you show up then and following? Well, in 2016, I was in a meeting here at Lincoln Berean when we got word of a terrorist attack in Brussels, Belgium. Ryan Harmon and I immediately talked to each other because we have long-term missionaries in Brussels, Fred and Janet Young. And we thought, could they have been in this? And we thought, oh, it's a big city. No way. They were in that place at that moment. We were wrong. They were. And this summer, they were here in Lincoln. And in preparation for this message, our Dan Rush sat down with them and captured some of their story. Let's take a look. We're Fred and Janet Young, and uh, we have some work going on in Brussels, Belgium, that helps you know, young men and women develop as basketball players. 
through our basketball camps and the summer leagues. And the elite players have an opportunity to visit the United States and try out for scholarships. Um, and I was at the airport um, on March 22nd, 2016, to lead a trip uh, into America to introduce players to college coaches. And Janet was dropping me off at the airport. And we're interrupting the programming right now with this breaking news that is coming in literally right now from Belgium, Mad Brussels, City. where a series of deadly is. bombs, at least one packed with nails, killing dozens, injuring hundreds. At remember the ball of fire coming and we were unconscious for several minutes uh, following that. When I regained consciousness, I was facing the carnage. We would learn later that the, the 12 people uh, were killed in that bombing. And my hand was full of blood and uh, I just had two words that came to my mind. It's here. I wasn't watching a movie, it wasn't a video game, I was in a terrorist attack. I thrust my hand towards the, 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 ski, the ceiling and I just uh, yelled in the loudest voice possible, God help us, help us God. For me, I think it's been drawn out because every year I've had a surgery for five years. They did the major surgery of opening my ear like a car door, putting on a, a skin graft from the cartilage in my ear, and then a year later they did this side, but they discovered this had a cyst growing underneath it, so they had to take that off. And when people have asked me over these years now, have I felt vengeful? Have I sought retribution? Have I been bitter about this? I would be wasting a lot of my time and energy trying to find my own retribution for what happened that day and, and those the years, the consequences that follow me. But I can't. I, there's, I've already been convinced that these other issues that I've, I've encountered, God will take care of that. He must. I, I can't. Uh, and so I haven't felt the tension or an emotion of, of vengeful or, or wasting my time in those directions. I think it was maybe even two years later, I'm um, uh, having lunch with a friend of mine, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she says, uh, if he was in front of you, what would you say to him? And I just went blank. It was, I was incapable of a thought. And then I blurted out, God loves you. And I wanted to swallow that back. I was like, I'm not saying this. It just, you know, I think God shapes our mind when we read the Bible. And he shaped mine to remind me, I even love this guy. 
Si vous aviez un, un message à adresser aujourd'hui, euh, en cette journée particulière, euh, à la population, aux autorités, à nous les journalistes, quel serait ce, ce message que vous souhaiteriez partager Moi, j'aimerais partager un, un message d'espérance. J'ai pensé que j'étais morte, que j'étais en train de mourir. Et, euh, mais en même temps, je me suis rendu compte que j'étais prête à mourir. Et euh, ça m'a donné beaucoup de force lorsque je me suis relevée et que je suis sortie et que nous avons vu des personnes blessées là. Je peux témoigner que euh, Jésus dit quand euh, on le suit, il nous garantit sa paix. Et nous pouvons dire que la foi que nous avons et ce que nous lisons nous donne une émotion. It gives us hope. We feel hopeful. And, and feeling hope uh, then motivates us and helps us to, to love. Our response then is to love. We always have something to do with the little strength we have left. And, uh, and God can turn terrible things that people do to us, to others. He, when we follow Him, He finds a way to make it good for us. And I, it's true because if we don't have that burden of hating someone, then we're free. And Jesus said, it's my peace I give, not like the world gives. We're talking about something counterculture. <laughs> and But he knows best. And, and to put the first little toe in the right direction is all we can do. Man, it's good news. We're, we don't have to be alone without God in the world. We have hope. I've known Fred and Janet for over 25 years. And long before 2016, they were learning to partner well with God. They were learning what life in Christ was about. I would have written a letter describing Fred and Janet like what we read here in Colossians 3. That prepared them for such a moment. And you know what they didn't have the chance to share in that is God prompted Janet to actually write a book about the horror of the bombing and about the hope in Jesus Christ. And across Belgium, it became a bestseller. It was read by the Queen, by high government officials. Fred and Janet have been on news program after news program, interviewed in newspapers, magazines, done live appearances all across Belgium, proclaiming the hope that is found in Jesus Christ because they were partnering well to become like Jesus, even in the worst. Just about a week or so ago, I heard a, a news story about another person who was in the Brussels bombing. They just committed suicide. They still couldn't get past it. What a difference we have in life in Christ. In just about four weeks, we'll all celebrate Thanksgiving. But I really want to encourage us to not just think of the fourth Thursday in November. What if we take the next four weeks and we make this a month of giving thanks? 
What if we heed Paul's advice and we decide to have a daily practice, a daily discipline where each one of us will just one time a day stop and lift up our eyes and seek God and to seek to see God, that we might actually believe God no matter what we're facing, being free to give thanks to God that we might live trusting in God. Do you think it would change you? Do you think it would change us? I believe that even in four weeks, God could make us more like Jesus. I invite you to take up that challenge. As we seek to force our loved ones and our friends to continually rewrite that letter as we partner well with God to actually look more like Christ. Lead us, Jesus, into your presence. Help us to understand that all sufficiency is in you, that we actually can have all that we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Draw us to yourself. Help us to not focus our lives just on getting taller and reaching out more, but growing deeper and stronger. Bring us toward your heart. Help us to walk in you, to live life in Christ becoming more like you, and helping others to do the same. In your name we pray, amen.